Well, this passage in Luke is confusing at best. (laughs) Every time I read it, I'm left wondering, did the manager get to stay? Was he now in his master's good graces having cheated him out of money? What is, was it good that he offered to lessen the debts that were owed to him? And why is that? What are we supposed to be learning from this story? What on God's green earth is the takeaway, Luke? (laughs) Those of you who have been studying the Psalms with me know that I dig deep into the things that I read. Words are important to me, and they matter deeply, particularly those that are written in our canon to be read over and over as a part of our liturgical cycle. And this parable is no different. In order to understand it, we must first understand Luke, the context in which he is telling the story, and what he is teaching us in his gospel as a whole. And until we do that, this parable will remain out of context and is easily misunderstood. So, in we go. Luke is one of the synoptic gospels. By definition, it shares quite a bit with Mark and Matthew. Luke, though, smoothed out his story so that it would be more easily taken in by readers who were removed from the context of rural Palestine. He often added historical and chronological information. Luke gave particular attention to riches and poverty and brought a reversal of values and commitments to what he wrote. There are, in fact, three parables about rich men, all of them unique to Luke. It's also important to know that though Luke has not abandoned hope of Christ's return, he seems to think that his readers are better served by digging in and doing what they can to further God's work here on earth, rather than waiting for Christ to come and save them from an imperfect world. Luke, resigned to Christ's a little less than imminent return, is asking his readers to be aware of the situation in which they find themselves. One of material wealth, or mammon, as Luke would call it. This parable is situated in Luke's gospel between the stories of the lost things, the sheep, the coin, the prodigal son, and that section where he tells his people that there is a higher chance of heaven and earth passing away than of the law becoming void. He is telling them how easy it is to be lost in this system and that they may not be able to escape it without help. This landscape of power that Luke paints and its misuse of that power looks so familiar to me that I really didn't even want to talk to you about it today. In this parable that we just read, Luke is pointing further than this system of wealth into the biblical system of slavery. This man, the subject of the story, is described as a manager, but notice that he doesn't have a supervisor. His boss instead is called a master. Remember that this is not the chattel slavery that we are so painfully familiar with as a nation. Chuck talked to us about that a couple of weeks ago. This instead is the indentured servitude that was so prevalent in this biblical time of Luke's writing. But let's be clear, it is still slavery. 
This system of slavery, though, allowed people to pay back what was owed to them in a way that also, in some cases, like this one, allowed them to live as human people inside the societal system that created that slavery. It was a working off of debts rather than a sheer ownership. What Luke is pointing to is the ability of this slave and this system to have power within the system. He has the power to collect debts and even change the debts. He has the ability to handle the supervisor's money. So this isn't the slavery we're familiar with then, is it? This servant had the ability to leverage a shred of hope for his future by currying favor with those who he knew within the master system. The very people he was collecting his debts from, these are the people that he can and may have to live with and rely on if he is cast out by his supervisor. What's odd here is that he held enough value within the fabric of this society that he was actually allowed to operate on his own authority with his her supervisor's debtors. This value that he held allowed the dishonest manager to be seen as a shrewd businessman, to be commended even by his boss. So did he get to stay? Luke doesn't say, and maybe that's because that's not really the point. Luke is pointing to the power that is inherent inside the system. What we see is someone who is in the system who can work it to their advantage and curry favor and then even be commended. But what of those outside this system? What about those who have already been cast out with no favor or those who were never in the system in the first place? Immigrants, lepers, the poor? I believe that Luke is telling Christ's followers to be wary of the system because in order for the system to work for them, they have to be inside of it. I believe that he is warning them of kingdom, of system, of any power structure that is built for people to either be in or out. I believe it is a warning of the very thing that we have built in the United States of America. And that is really difficult to swallow. So let me take a minute and just swallow it. What is God's purpose for us this day? In this moment, loved ones, in the reading of this gospel, how do we look at this and see a way forward? Womanist theologians have a way of looking at scripture with a lens of suspicion and asking, who is not here? Who is not being spoken of or spoken about? Who are we not willing to talk about? And what or whose perspective are we not seeing? When we read the story here, and think about those outside the manager-supervisor system, and we ask who is not being spoken of, it's very clear that we don't hear about anyone outside of this system. Who is outside of our church? I do want to name that we are a privileged group, the Episcopal Church. 
are we not? I mean, it's not a bad thing, it just, it just is, right? About 70%, according to Pew Research, 70% of Episcopalians make $50,000 a year or more. 84% of us have more than a high school education. And 90% of us are white. Okay, so I've named that. And why do we have to name that? We have to do this work intentionally if we're going to do it at all. And to do so means to strive for equity, justice, and peace. So we have to name that none of that equity, justice, and peace is happening right now, and that we are part of why. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. We are good. We are loved. It's okay. If we're going to choose to do this work, then we have to intentionally look outside of our system to see who is not here with us. For us here at St. David's, the unhoused are outside of our system, and not just outside of our system, but quite literally outside the window. Trinity Center is here, as is Caritas and the Arch right there. Doug and Diana Bell started Trinity Center in 1999, and it has grown from a tiny Sunday ministry to its own consistent one that serves our neighbors daily with meals and social services they cannot get elsewhere. Trinity has a brand new executive director, and he is looking to strengthen the ties between the church and their ministry once again. He would love for us to take the elevator down one more floor and show up with them. Did you know they serve breakfast every morning at 9? LGBTQIAP plus people who have been categorically injured by the church and people who would use scripture as a weapon against their very identity are still outside the system of political and social power. Well, we just celebrated Pride in Austin. And this church was a center of worship before celebrating at the parade with our siblings in Christ while they articulated their identity and proclaimed their very worth. Black, indigenous, people of color who historically have been owned, relocated, and leveraged to build both country and wealth still remain violently outside the system of power in America. This is the painful part of our shared history that we will have to acknowledge in order to move forward. Well, this month, St. David's, you intentionally elevated your anti-racist task force, which was formed out of the protests of George Floyd's murder. This group has become the Racial Justice Committee, and it will be a permanent part of your church legislation. Their work as a committee will affect the way that you worship, the way you minister, educate, and hire people. That is a decisive move, Body of Christ. There are immigrants who were suffering enough to seek asylum within our borders and then were moved without their will or agency to a new location. They remain outside our system even as they try to find autonomy within it. Did you know that an Episcopal church is housing those who were flown to Martha's Vineyard this week? St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Edgartown took them in and will be ministering to them as they find solution for their new lives and their strange, maybe even exiled predicament. It is the right thing to do. 
and it is who we are. This gospel, this story, is Luke's call to us. And I believe that we are answering his call. I see that we have programs on the ground and ministries already formed around us, ready and waiting for us to be disciples. And I believe that we have more ministries in us, and I should write because I am your curate and director of community engagement, so I, I should have ideas about that. So I ask you, where are you called this day? What is God putting on your heart? And where will you show up to look for those who are not here with us? How will you minister to those who are not represented by our system of governance? How can we reach out to those who, not, who are not within our system in order to provide love and justice? There are ministries literally right outside our windows. But if volunteering at Trinity Center isn't your jam, maybe writing a check is. If that's not in your heart or budget, then come with me to the Capitol and talk about what you see to those who hold office on these very same downtown streets that we do. Elections are coming, loved ones. Let us not be remiss. Christ was always called to social justice. Christ sent his disciples to the forefront to create change within a system that was corrupt in the time that he and they were alive and operating within it. Until they weren't. I believe that Bishop Curry is calling us to step into the same work when he reframes us as the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. And I believe what we see as far back as the first century, that is that Christ, through Luke, is calling us into a life and a kingdom that serves Christ, not mammon. For as he said, you cannot serve God and wealth. Amen.